Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes. Today, we're recapping The Wheel of Time, Season 2, Episode 5. This one's called Damani, and I'm with my co-host for today and for all Wheel of Time podcasts. He's Marshland Monster, he's MLMPod.com, and all that stuff. It's James. Ahoy there, James. Ahoy, I found my own shade. Now I need some water. I'm not doing a double-handed salute. This is me trying <laughs> to get out of the sun. It's blistering hot where I am. Oh, man. Not here, actually. Um, I'm in Virginia. You're in Chicago. Do, are your shades up or oh, something? No, I'm not in Chicago right now. I'm in that dream world that Rand oh. got slammed into at the end of this episode with his complexion no thank you <laughs> tell Iran Royad you're over there yeah in the sun oh man I'm so sorry for you it's this was a great one I uh-huh. th- this was the one I thought last week was was like a, a high point and this one got even higher and even higher because Moraine's got those pre-rolls that she found last week so this is why this episode was so good I guess Oh, but it's probably book ended and the middle wasn't as good. We got, we went over this last time. <laughs> I should never say something like that, that I can't really back up with like specific points because I just feel like a fool. Um, no, I, I was on board for this whole thing because I was waiting to see what was happening with everyone. Um, I, I do have a couple of little bit of news for you, James. Um, first off, Joya Sedai, we keep talking about her, like portrayed by Joelle. We saw her back in episode one. Um, Mm -hmm. alopecia um, young woman we're gonna see her I looked up her IMDB and she's gonna be in episodes six and seven yes so we will be seeing her next couple of episodes I've been worried I looked her up because I was worried we not might not be seeing her anymore so glad she's coming through um what else I got oh yeah this is a big a big mistake on my behalf the past couple of episodes I've been calling this woman, the High Lady Suroth, I've been calling her the Empress. And um, that's completely incorrect. She's a High Lady Suroth. We meet who is her um, immediate superior, like her manager, basically, the High Lord Suroth. But um, yeah, I went the last couple of episodes calling her the Empress. Um, I'm not going to go back and re-edit those episodes or even do editor notes. Just kind of hope people will like call me out and that way I'll get some feedback and some uh, <laughs> something to talk about. Yeah, you tried calling me out on something on the MLM pod discord. And I was going to say, like, I'm um, actually there's a, there's an editor's note in there. I already know that, Steven. You said, oh, the episode that you guys are thinking of of Powerpuff Girls is no- nothing special. And right. that's in there. We I say we specifically talk oh. about the Powerpuff Girls episode. Oh. Nothing special. Oh, because <laughs> well, of course I, wanna... I watched that episode immediately after editing it and Nicole's like I thought we were watching Chucky coming from someone who's like we I don't need to watch Chucky it's like yeah you do fucker <laughs> okay well I, I did not read any of the, I never read any of the episode um, notes of any podcast I listen to James because I'm driving all the time and they just they just roll past and like one one episode ends the next begins and sometimes I don't even know what's coming up next. It's just whatever's next in my feed. That's what kind of happened there, James. So sorry to do a double goof there, but I just wanted to make sure everybody on the Discord was aware so they could go back and watch that. Because that was a, a great episode of Powerpuff Girls, nothing special, mm-hmm. where you say in this episode, you, you said in your episode, this is where Buttercup reveals that she can uh, curl her tongue, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a very special power. 
Nicole's like, this is so weird. And I go, yep, it's season five and six, baby. Because <laughs> those those seasons are weird. Yeah, that's right. I was really... Uh, let's talk Powerpuff Girls a different time. Yes. I got a lot I could say about Powerpuff Girls. I won't say it in this podcast. Maybe in a different one. Um, but we got to meet another Aiel, which is cool. Another redheaded Aiel who can fight. So we got another fight sequence. Like anytime you meet an Aiel, you're going to get a fight. Nicole watched this episode with me. So there's cool. a very funny thing regarding that Aiel I'm excited to get to. All righty. Well, I'm ready to get to the recap if you are, James. Yeah, real quick. I got a review. This encapsulates what we've been saying. This okay. is a 10 out of 10 star from IMDb. Movie buff 5454. They say Wheel of Time is following the books in an inexact yet faithful manner. Full confessions, I'm a bit taken aback by the reviewers who are angry that this series doesn't follow the books exactly. <laughs> Seriously, this is a TV series. Mm -hmm. It is not the written word. There are very, very few novels or even actual history which can translate to the screen in an exact manner. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, there were 14 books in the Wheel of Time series, and there were over 2,000 chapters and hundreds upon hundreds of locations. There yes. is no possible way that could be <laughs> translated to the screen in an exact manner. I am happy that the showrunners chose a path which is faithful in essence. They emphasize that which is important and sometimes do it in a way that is different than the books yet true to the plot. Good for them. I appreciate the consideration. I am loving Moraine. Season two has allowed some actors to shine. I especially like Perrin, Min, and Rand. This is important because I wasn't totally convinced that they're casting to uh wait convinced of their casting choices in season one. I'm hooked. I'll be watching every week, and I often rewatch the latest episode before the next one airs. In parentheses, just to be sure I have all the details set. By the way, there are several excellent covers of Weep for Man the Thrin available on YouTube. Man, I love that. I might just clip everything you just read and credit it to that person because that's I love that review. That mm -hmm. you're right. That's exactly like how we feel, except they encapsulated it way better in words. Um, great review. That was on IMDb. You said, "Yep, movie buff five four five four. And there were a couple other reviews saying, "Hey, I like how they're 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 capturing the feel of Wheel of Time." even though they're mm -hmm. not doing it word for word. Yeah, that's great. I agree with all this. Um, there's a fellow that I follow um, on Instagram. I used to follow him on Twitter, but I'm no longer on that platform. I don't think he is either. <laughs> um, calls himself Narg, and he's named after one of the Trollocs. And, you know, he um, encapsulates a character in his, in his um, social media. So he pretends like he's Narg. And he's pretty... Um, he doesn't love the show, but he's not a book cloak either. Um, there's things about the show that he likes and he'll always do like, you know, brief reviews of them. He was not a fan of episode five. I had to um, disagree with them on this and risk being thrown in a trollic pot for disagreeing with the great Narg. Ooh. But I did. I wrote, I wrote in there that, you know, I couldn't go with them on this one because usually I appreciate his um, his viewpoint, even if I don't agree with it. 
But in his review of episode five, I just didn't agree one bit, especially what he had to say about the Aes Sedai, Viren Sedai. So I had to speak up for her. So they're on um, with Gorley and Rust, Matt Gorley and Paul Rust podcast. Mm-hmm. They th- Matt Gorley has created a more understanding review system where instead of like giving it one through five, he ranks it good movie, good day, good movie, bad day, bad movie, good day, bad movie, bad day, because on a good day and a bad day that could recalibrate how you're actually feeling and could affect how you saw a movie. So he includes that stuff when he brings up reviews. So I would like to know if, if you've been in line with this individual, maybe they, this was an okay episode, bad day. You mean this episode right here? Yeah, you said episode five, this this person, or unless you're talking yeah. about Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> no, I'm talking about this episode. So you're thinking, you're saying from Narg's point of view. Yes, I would like to know what <laughs> Narg's day was like when they watched this episode, because maybe it, 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 it I'm guessing they, they've been not hating on the episodes, just like right. kind of critical of them. Was yes. this like, oh, I'm hating on it now? No, 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 but... Okay. His, um, I think where his perspective was, was he was seeing everybody posting how much they loved this episode. Um, myself included, Mm. there's a lot of praise for this episode. And I think he was just countering that, uh, with his reasons why that he didn't think it was the best episode. And he, you know, pointed out a lot of interesting things, but I didn't agree with any of them, but Uh, Hey, it could be okay. Episode bad day. I suppose so. I suppose so. I like the guy because he's thoughtful in what he says. Even before, you know, the TV show came out, I was following him. And, you know, there's a reason. I, I, I don't follow people who uh, who spread a lot of ne- negativity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but enough hey. about Narg. Let's get on to our recap, James. Also, also, real quick, we don't need to go into it. I just want to say this season, looking back at season one, I'm like, yeah, that kind of was like a podunk season like in comparison it's very small in scope and this one's very grand so i could see Mm -hmm. why some people might be turned off by season one now but now that we know where it goes there's no reason to be hating on it so let's get on to the episode summary there we go We start this episode out with the Senshin. They're occupying Falme. And here we see the High Lady Seroth, looking like Queen Amidala coming through. Yeah, she's brought before her superior, the High Lord Turok. Like I said before, both of them are... The the, the hierarchy is her, then High Lord Turok, and then I suppose the Empress is above him. There may be somebody between him and the Empress. Not exactly sure about that. But I think his name, the High Lord Turok, means that he is second in command to the Empress. Mm-hmm. So they both have voices that they, they use to speak through. She has Alvarin. She, being Lady Suroth, has Alvarin. And he has his voice he uses to speak. I don't have a name for his voice, just the voice of Turok. Um, this is how they're supposed to speak. Nobody's supposed to know what their voices sound like. So, you know, this is a, this is a, um, some fodder for the book cloaks to say, oh, they're speaking like, you know, I can't stand this fact that they're using their voices because they, they're not supposed to be. Um, 
but they are anyway. I think they, they use that to emphasize what they really mean, I suppose. And I make, I think he makes her use her voice just to belittle her, I suppose. Um, but I, I looked at that more so as, oh no, you will speak to me because you did something wrong. I want to hear directly from you. Also, we, we're not, we are higher ups. We don't need to go through these, this formality bullshit. You like, don't mm. bullshit me, but mainly, Hey, you fucked up. You did yes. something that ruined our cause. I want to hear directly from you, not mm. a second person. I guess we see why. I guess this was was smart in retrospect because she shows like defiance to his face. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if her voice was speaking for her, that definitely would not have happened. Um, but we learned that she invaded that village without permission. Um, she tries to justify it by saying she brought an Ogier slave and a Shanayan lord. Did you like uh, Lord Ingtar's new glow up? Uh-huh. <laughs> He a handsome pretty, man these like, days. No, 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 he's not handsome. He is pretty. <laughs> he is pretty. You're right. He's got like lipstick on and rouge and all that stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she was being very defiant to him. He reveals the sentient mission to us, which is very interesting. Their whole mission is to fight the shadow. And who's his second in command here? As we know that she's evil and on the dark side as well as Ishmael right there. Uh, Turok, by definition, should not be down with that at all because he is all for the light. And this made sense. I'm like, okay, this finally is coming together because my first note was, do the Aes Sedai even know about the other continent? Um, Nobody does, no. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, the other thing is if they did know they would be like, oh, these people are trying to conquer the world for darkness. That's weird how they wouldn't be going out and saying, we need to take care of this business. But now that we know they are trying to essentially colonize, it seems very like mm-hmm. the Christian, um, um, <laughs> ma- not masquerades, The what's the thing that they did in the to colonize for Catholicism? I don't... I don't remember the phrase. The either, Crusades. James. Oh, there you go. Got Not it. Not the masquerades. <laughs> It'd be it more feels, fun if it was the masquerades, though. Yeah, it feels very much like that. But it at least are trying to destroy darkness at right in the process. So that makes sense. If it was just like we're here for darkness and we're a huge <laughs> army, someone would have found out about that. That's right. I mean, but they do like have slaves here, and that's. You know, just like in our world, in the in the Wheel of Time world, nobody, you know, slavery is not a thing that people do. So for them to have these channelers as slaves, you know, is in defiant to like the the worldview of this Wheel of Time world. Yeah, and we'll get into something a little mm-hmm. bit later that I'm yep. pretty sure. Oh, oh, we know, we know this person's a dark Aja. No, uh-uh, no. Oh. I'm okay. still denying something that we'll get into later. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, yes, a little breadcrumb. All right. Um, yeah, we learned these guys have a di- these guys being the sentient have a different view of channelers that they um, use their channelers as weapons and they train them and they leash them so they don't use the power um, undiscriminately. So mm-hmm. they're 
supposedly we'll get more into like their respect for the power later as well. For right now though, what we know is that Suroth is debarred. She's barred from court and then she's basically defanged. She gets her nice little uh, fingernails chopped off there. And you can even hear the sound effect of them like hitting the concrete as they fall to the ground. Which I thought was gross. However, <laughs> Nicole is sitting next to me and says, man, I think all shows need a silly consultant because this is just stupid and silly. Why their costume department needs a silly consultant because there's too much going on here. I'm specifically the big long nails. She's like, those are too long. And yeah. she kept referencing those in a funny way later. And then, you know, the, the weird masks that are kind of just like branches. <laughs> yes. She also was like, those binkies in their mouth are very stupid. Silly, mm -hmm. I mean. Silly, yeah. I mean, I can't disagree with any of that. Actually, I appreciate all of that, and I'm, I'm glad you got that perspective out there. Um, she accepts her punishment boldly. I'm just going to trudge ahead here. Then Ishmael presents. It's, it's, like a, it's like a rock and roll show. I present Ishmael. Ishmael presents Padden Fane, who presents the Horn of Valir. Here it is. He's whistling on down the aisle, bringing the Horn of Valir. In this cool ass complicated box that's it reminded me of like dark because they have very weird um time machines with all these intricate dials and gold stuff all over them. It also made me think about um Hellraiser. What did they call yeah, that box? The Lament Configuration. Yes. I knew you would have that phrase at the ready for me. Um I'm not sure how Turok knew how to open this box up. Because, like, you know, the Horn of Valir is a sacred object that nobody has seen in, like, thousands of years. But he knows, like, the code to, like, roll this way, roll counterclockwise this way. Okay, well, it was, he rolled it once one way and another one once the same way and then it opened. It wasn't as confusing as the box, except the box, you know how to open it if you are supposed to open it. It's not, oh, how do mm. I do this? specific people that need or mm. have the desire to see pleasures beyond the flesh. <laughs> Maybe Turok's Taviran, like you're saying. That sounds like you're describing oh. a Taviran person. That yes, would just... it's, not, it's not a Tarv Leone, so I need to cross out a note for later. <laughs> All right. I think that's the last thing I have to say about that scene in the Damani. Um, do you have anything else to uh, to add there? That's all I have to say about that. On to the next. We got random Moraine. This is just continue, continuing right where we left off last episode. Uh, running from Lanfear. Uh, we get to see her reanimate here. And this was creepy uh -huh. <laughs> and, and disturbing. I didn't like it a lot. Um, but she was able to like he heal herself by like touching herself. And just like you said last week, you said even if they had chopped her head off, I'm sure some weird thing would have come up and, you know, reattach it to her head. And you were right. That's exactly what would have happened. But it, it would have taken a little bit longer. They should have cut yes. off head, cut off arms, cut off legs. But, I mean, they could have done up. all that. But just be just being of the dark and that saw that lives inside of her soul, that's what that stuff is called, that black 
icky okay. stuff is called SA, S-A. And that's always at the ready to, that's why you can't kill these Forsaken, apparently, because they can always just reanimate themselves or retreat back to the world of dreams, perhaps. Ooh, Kirby style, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. You see Kirby, it's in every single game where, oh, it's all these happy, fun enemies. Why are we attacking these? We don't know. And then the last boss is always like, it's God you have to fight, and it's actually the <laughs> devil as well. Yeah. I wasn't a Kirby guy. I never played Kirby. I was definitely a Mario dude, but I never... Oh. Never did Sonic, never did Kirby. I've all, Kirby's the only one because oh. you get those special abilities. Mario can get two middle fingers. Don't no. enjoy any Mario game besides <laughs> Yoshi's Island, which you also get cool abilities in. But Kirby top tier, I love it. Kirby 64 rules and the newest Kirby. Yay, yay. So good. I mean, I was going to sing a song about Kirby. I was on the, on the tip of my tongue to like join you. You're like, oh yeah, Kirby, but... You given two middle fingers to Mario. We're we're enemies now. So I just I don't understand why people like those games. They're they're difficult and not fun. They're difficult and incredibly fun. Um, just like Lanfear has a lot of fun when she walks into the storm. I'm going to change the subject because when she walks out of that cabin and like that storm in the background, her hair is all flying. You got to pause right there and like make that you know. Make that something. That's that's such a wonderful image. I'm going to be using that in the future. My only issue with that scene was when she is fully healed, there's no blood stains on her. I oh. think there should have yeah, been. You're but right. Nicole's like, well, she sucked all the blood up, even what would have stained <laughs> in there. She needs that blood inside of her gut. Don't you need blood inside <laughs> of you, James? And I go, fine, Nicole. Yep, she's able to take that dried up blood, add a little bit of moisture to it, and reuse it. Heck yes, she's efficient, if nothing else. Moraine, talk about efficient. Um, she dropped down a couple notches in my book here. No, nah, um, man, she dommed this horse. <laughs> okay, first she goes to a, a local stable, the, the first stable they run to, and she commandeers the horses. In the name of the Armorillon, she flashes her ring, and... <laughs> The woman, you know, doesn't want to give the horses up, but Moraine is like, you got to come with us because you're in danger. So we're all getting out of here because there's three of them and there's four horses. She does not want Lanfear to follow. So she slices a horse, slits its throat. Um, Lanfear appreciates that. She thinks she's a clever girl for doing so, but I was shocked. I was, um, the first time I saw it, that is, I was completely shocked and it's like, I felt like the, uh, I don't know, stuff affects me, James. When I watch stuff on TV, like I said, body horror really affects me. So when I saw what she did and I saw what she was about to do, it's like I got a cold freeze going through my body. I like did not like it. I reacted strongly to this. Oh, you're going to hate the discussion of Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's zombie movie we're discussing, which is just... <laughs> zombie horror gore shit it's don't watch that movies it's linked in the description do not watch the movie steven <laughs> like even this episode gross there's a couple things in this episode that really grossed me out that was one of them what moraine like our hero did um so yeah she's trying to stop land fear from following them unfortunately uh there a, a man comes upon 
Lanfear. Lanfear finds the bl- bloody horse and, you know, she's like, Moraine, you clever girl. A dude shows up to help her out and she, all she does is ask him, you know, where this road goes. It goes to Tarvalon, the White Tower. Just a quick flick of the wrist and she blasts his head right off. Like, hell yeah. No pain, no, um, no forewarning. Just get out of my way. I need your horse. Let's get out of here. The horse would have freaked out. I just want to say that. Oh, okay. So you think that might be why she did it so suddenly? No, no. I'm saying so suddenly. I think the horse would have freaked out. Horses are intuitive. Oh, right, right. Yeah, you're probably absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, Ugh, anything slower than a horse. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, you're freaking walking sticks, dude. That's right. A little bit slower. That's right. I thought the same thing. She's she's referring, of course, to uh to the ways where you can travel really quickly, like Leandrin does in this episode. She travels thousands of miles in one day. That's what Lamphere's wanting. But right now, she's got to deal with a horse. Um, the head blast thing was uh, it was just straight up cool. It um it made Heather jump. It made Heather take notice. She dug it. So next up, we have uh, Perrin and Elias. They're further discussing uh, the Wolf Brother site. Uh, Perrin discusses... Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't discuss anything. He discovers that they're back in a Tuin's mill, and he's a little pissed that Elias has been leading them away instead of leading them to their friends to save them. He's been leading them away from danger as far away as possible. I think that's what Elias is trying to do is keep him away from danger. Uh, so Perrin's a little pissed off about that. Elias snaps back with, um, you know, those soldiers are not your pack. Those folks in the two river also not your pack. Your wife, Layla, who Stephen James keep bringing up because it's possible that she could be a dark friend, but nobody knows. She's also not your pack. This is like more fodder for that dark friend Layla theory mm-hmm. is what he's saying right here and how horribly like Perrin reacts to it. But, but about his friends in the two rivers, like he is wolf brother, but he's also wolf bro. No, no, that, <laughs> that term I keep forgetting the oh, name Tavirin. of. Yes. He's also that, which that's also his pack. Yeah, exactly. He's got a bigger duty than just being a wolf pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, they square up, Perrin and Alliance square up here. Like they're about to fight. The wolves all gather around. Like this is like middle school or some shit. Fight, fight, fight. Perrin runs off though. He um he goes to find his friends. Um, I'm thinking about something here. Remember Ishmael a couple episodes back um, set Perrin free. They were in the train car or whatever, and he didn't set Perrin free, but he came and woke Perrin up and was talking stuff to him, gave him some water, and then left just in time for Elias to take him. So it seems like Elias is allowing Perrin to become wolf-like. It's like that's kind of Ishmael's plan is to, you know, he he had Perrin. He had him captured. But instead, he wants him to, like, learn his wolf ways. Mm-hmm. So it would benefit Ishmael to allow Perrin to go and learn the wolf ways with Elias and the wolves. The thing is, though, is that the wolves seem good doesn't seem like they're evil. They seem like, you know, either either good or they're neutral. And so if that's the case, then Elias must be the same, either good or neutral mm-hmm. as well. So I'm not seeing them as part of the dark. I, I don't think they're the dark, but 
my guess is Ishmael's thinking is the more primal he becomes, the closer to that, that like we control monsters. We it's so easy to get someone who is just using their instincts opposed to logic and reason, though. That's my interpretations of what he did and why he's like, oh, he's he'll he's he'll be wolf soon enough. <laughs> right. It's just it it's one of these interesting twists in the show that I'm just grappling with because it, it seems like Ishmael is like cheering this on, like Perrin becoming a wolf. But, you know, it's it's I guess it's like the equivalent of like, you know, I'm not even going to have a false equivalency, James. On to the next scene, buddy. <laughs> All right. We're following Rand and Moraine again. We're at this weird town marker. I suppose that's what that is. Uh, Lanfear rides past and she's wielding that lightning. Moraine and Rand gave her the slip, though, kind of like in the Dukes of Hazard, Like they, uh, they hid behind a tree while she ran past. Classic. Classic Scooby-Doo like we were talking last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Moraine explains that, um, she calls him the lieutenant. Did you catch that? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I, I know that's like a phrase somewhere, but do you know like exactly what a lieutenant is? Well, I, I would only think like the left hand path is like the evil path. So that would make sense of like, instead of my right hand man, because they're evil, it would be like a left hand man. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense than anything else I've thought of because I just don't know. Um, I just know they said she said that, but in the, uh, you know, in the text on below the screen, it said lieutenant, not lieutenant. So I just thought that was weird. Unless you just misheard lieutenant. No, because um, you heard it, Heather heard it, everybody heard it. As oh, I mean, I didn't hear it. I oh, was just going along with like, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> Thank you for yes anding me there. That's good, James. Um, but yeah, she explains to Rand that, you know, that he set them free and she further goes on to say that he is the dragon. They have a discussion about the forsaken here. Um, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts with Moraine and Rand before we move on? Well, we called this. How so? On our rewatch, we said that one, this might not actually be the dark one you, because you said, well, it says in the when you pause it, it says in the credits, this is the dark one. And right. I was like, but it might not be. It could be some other manifestation, whatever. Well, we okay. didn't call exactly what it was. But then we said it seems like th- whoever this person is was leading everyone away so only rand and moraine would go knowing that if they're not all together they're not going to have the power to simply vanquish this individual Mm -hmm. but merely to set them free which we thought like oh this will like give the technically we were correct in this of saying this (laughs) will give the dark one a footing within the real world to be able to influence people and yes but not specifically the dark one, but we called this. Yeah. Good us, man. Hell yes. All right. Next up we got, um, Hopper. (laughs) He's followed Perrin. He's a faithful friend. And he actually, it looks like he showed kind of shows Perrin what happened to Uno, that Uno is down there in a Tuins mill that he's been killed and that he's in a cage. 
and Perrin decides that he is going to go bury Uno just to honor him. Tells Hopper to wait, and Hopper is a very good boy. Lays down and waits. That made me so happy. He goes to um, free Uno's body, uh, and instead there's a, a eel in the cage next to him that warns him, you know, not to be loud. But at any rate, you know, he's busted anyway because up walks who Perrin thinks is like the town mayor. It's this dude, Dane Bornhold. And he explains a little bit more about that Aiel for us. And he gives her water and, you know, even says so. Here's some water for you, just to emphasize that point. Um, he, he tells Perrin that Perrin needs to stay for the night because there's a curfew. I don't know why there would be a curfew in town. I guess it's because the town was just under attack. It seems, yeah. you know, it seems legit now that I... As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, nope, you're wrong, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Perrin assumes this is just the town mayor or the town manager. Uh, He recognizes Perrin from the two rivers. There's all these, everybody can pick out two rivers stuff somehow, which is interesting. They have his drink together, and he eventually finds out that these guys are white cloaks. Uh, Not happy to hear it, but it's not like he and Dane had like a bad interaction. They, you know. They had an amicable interaction here. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog runs out to say hi to Perrin, which is really cute. And that's all I got for that. Oh, yeah, the Aiel. Uh, the only reason that Aiel is in the cage is because she came into the town at the wrong time. Even Dane admits that. She didn't really do anything wrong. She just showed up at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. So I explained I yield to Nicole. She's hearing it on the screen. And Nicole at the same time was pretending to be this man using a very weird voice and oh yeah, I'm, I gotta go. You gotta go down there. And and then she started saying like, <laughs> oh yeah, and the Aiel, they they'll go down on you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I'm like, I'm the, are you an Aiel? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm one of them ideas. And so I go, Nicole, are you saying you are a concept, an idea, or do you not remember the name Aiel? And she starts laughing so hard. She's like, I'm so glad you know me so well. <laughs> I'm an abstract idea. <laughs> no, she just forgot the term Aiel and said idea instead. And uh, she kept saying, like, going down. I think th- the I guy mean, said, oh, you need to, like, go down to the river or something. And <laughs> Nicole just kept saying, oh, yeah, they, they go down on me to ever about any character whatsoever in this weird voice. I mean, it's it's book specific. I mean, she's right on with that because the Aiel do like to talk about stuff like that a lot. So oh. she she was right on. <laughs> well, we learned the innskeep in town here is new because the old innskeep went and followed the caravan with her daughter. Um, this is when Perrin really finds out some bad news that Valda is still around. He's in town and Valda is talking to Dane outside. Now, Valda assumes that the Aiel had something to do with the Sension army because he was like, it can't be a coincidence that they're here at the same time as Ascension. So Valda's just assuming that, you know, the Aiel is an enemy. And he says, you know, the more questions I can ask, the more answers I get. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is this is a this is a tough one. He says, <laughs> 
he's basically bagging on Bane for being like a Nepo baby because Dane's dad was, you know, a strong lieutenant in the White Cloaks. And now, you know, here's Dane Bornhold. That's what uh, Valda says to him. Heck, heavy is the suckling child. Ooh. <laughs> I thought that was a really strange insult. That's like, anytime you come upon a nepo baby, that's how you insult them. Heavy is a suckling child. <laughs> uh, he wants to push those sentient back into the sea. So, you know, the white cloaks are supposed to be on the side of the light. Of course, they're supposed to be like the Catholic church priests all in white, but we know the questioners are a bunch of questionable assholes. The white cloaks themselves are pretty much assholes. But they pretend to be on the side of the light. Then we've got the Sension here, who are also on the side of the light, but they just have a different way of going about things, and they demand slaves. And Well, they- it's also different, at least right now. The only yeah. Sentient we've seen are ones following the darkness. So it, it could be... Mm-mm. Wait. Uh, I mean, woman- the ones... The ones that we've seen in this town, if they're like, oh, these are the ones that are, it would seem like they are aligned with the darkness. Only Suroth is. High Lady Suroth and Ishmael are absolutely dark friends. But every other, everybody else, though. By we, I mean the ones who have touched ground in the continent we've been on Mm -hmm. have been with the darkness. No, that's still wrong. It's only Suroth. Suroth I thought is, we've only seen her on the shores of what's this continent's name? Um, <laughs> you you got me. Okay, <laughs> the the continent we've been on. I thought right, those right. have been the only ones who have been around. They, they have. I guess the point I'm trying to make is Suroth herself is a dark friend. Mm-hmm. No other sentient is a dark friend. Yes. They're all on the side of the light. So let's say this. You see uh, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts come together, but let's Mm -hmm. say the one Boy Scout group that the Girl Scouts are meeting are actually in a fight club. (laughs) And then they would assume all Boy Scouts are in a fight club. Okay. But in reality, no other Boy Scouts are in a fight club. Sure. That analogy is perfect, except for just take it that there's one Boy Scout leader who is in a fight club, but everybody that's in his troop doesn't even know that he's in a oh, fight yeah, club. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but is still progressing things towards to be a fight club. <laughs> yes. They're definitely gonna fight. They're definitely not gonna talk about this ever. Yes. Right. That's all I know. <laughs> so the, w- that's what I'm saying. Like the white cloaks are like, well, they're they're all in a fight club. Every single <laughs> one of them. It's like, no, no, yeah. no. Their kind their <laughs> views fall more in line. Actually, no, never mind. This is like Catholics and like Protestants fighting. So never mind. That's the better analogy. They <laughs> will really is actually. Yeah. And that's it. there you go. Spill blood, even though it's like you guys are the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to move on to the next scene. Um, it's Lanfear again. She rides up on that stable master. This is the scene I hate. Uh, not, I don't hate it because it sucks. I hate it because it's scary. She used this woman as bait, apparently, and Moraine, she being Moraine, mm-hmm. Moraine and Rand bugged off and they told the stable master, take these horses as fast as you can to the White Tower, knowing that Lamphere was going to chase them. 
this stable master's kindness basically is what got her caught because Moraine instructed her to run the horses hard. She didn't want to do that. She's letting the horses rest here because she feels bad for them. Then up comes Lanfear. Um, she tells Lanfear everything that Lanfear needs to know, including some, uh, some additional stuff. Lanfear finds out that the young man that was with Moraine seemed like he was in a daze and it seemed like he was following the Aes Sedai's orders. That makes Lanfear happy. Um, she's like, yeah, he's still young. I got to remember that. He's just being led around. Um, she mentions at this point that she'll have them once they fall asleep. We don't hear anything more about that yet, but this is the first time she mentions that. Um, Stable Master is like, hey, don't worry. I'm not telling anybody. And I think she meant it. I think she did mean she wasn't going to mm -hmm. tell anyone. Lanfear instead makes sure she doesn't tell anyone and does like the old sewing her mouth shut thing, which is awful. I've seen this in movies before and I didn't like it then. And I don't like it now. It's awful. Yeah. And they don't focus on it. So it kind of makes it worse. Right. I wonder if like she's uh she can breathe if she's getting ready to die or if she has to live the rest of her life with a shut up mouth. You can still breathe with your nose. Well, sure. But I didn't know if maybe that was getting affected too. Cause like you said, we don't know. I oh, don't yeah. know if she just, you know, Cut that passageway off. It's some vicious stuff, though, Lanfear. <laughs> uh, here we go. Varen rides back into town. Uh, she does the old classic thing of taking her hood off, looking like a superhero. They do this on Dark a lot, too, where somebody will show up in a hood, and then they'll very dramatically take their hood off to reveal it's Jonas or whatever. It's so Aragorn. She, <laughs> right. <laughs> so she does it here. It's Varen. Um, she's got that cool streak of gray in her hair. So that's to let you know that she is super, super old. Somebody like Moraine is like pushing a hundred and she still looks like she's 30. And then we got Viren. She kind of looks old. So we know that she must be like centuries old. Uh, shows up to town. The other Browns are psyched to see her. We meet, uh, Naomi and Jessica, super book nerds. They're like super happy that she's home and, um, this is Cho Chang from Harry Potter. Did you write? I don't, you, that's right. You did. I was a Harry Potter fan. I had an age appropriate kid at the time. We read all the books and stuff. So, uh, I'm very familiar with the Harry Potter lore and immediately recognized Cho Chang here. Um, she was Harry's love interest in the, in the later series, mm, mm -hmm. but yeah, she just, uh, she being Viren's just coming in here for that good Brown gossip. She wants to come check out these new novices that are in town. So that's why Viren is back. Or so she says. Mm, well, okay. <laughs> Those novices she's talking about are in the ways with Leandrin. Here we go. We can talk about what you wanted to talk about before. Um, she has shielded and bonded the three girls, being Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine. Uh, she's broken the three oaths. She broke the three oaths when she attacked them. Uh, she said that she's broken many more than that to Nynaeve. And it's here that we learn that she absolutely is Black Aja. Oh, no question. Uh, in the sense that she's broken oaths, yes. Yes. And that she is doing this for Ishmael. What she's doing right now is in favor to Ishmael, who is the dark one. So she has made promises. She has 
told this man he will bring something to her. That does not mean she is currently working towards the goal he is working towards. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because I we mean, there's sk- there's definitely proof of that later. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. There's proof. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm still gonna hold out hope that she's not straight up. Hey, right. I'm a dark one. Hey, what isn't this like so predictable? I don't think that show's so predictable. Yes, I've predicted a lot of stuff, but that's because I understand script story writing. <laughs> yes, you you understand it well. You do it yourself. All right, so she explains that the reason that the uh, Aes Sedai do the whole oaths is because a great king in the past, a thousand years back, was basically afraid of their power, threatened to burn down the White Tower if they did not bind themselves to these oaths. Because previously they didn't have these oaths. You know, they just, you know, were magical women that went about and did their thing. They could lie and they could do whatever they wanted. And this holds even more weight for her not following the Dark One or Ishmael. She hates men telling her what to do. She will never allow that to happen. So that's why she's doing what she's doing. I totally agree with that. I can't see like her just being Ishmael's dog, as like Mm -hmm. Suroth says later. I don't see Leandrin in that role. Uh, But here, she says... um, the Aes Sedai, their rules, their rituals, their formalities are just there as like a facade so they can appear greater than men so men won't threaten them. Uh, Nynaeve wisely points out Leandrin has paid this huge price to be where she is and, you know, was this worth it to you? <laughs> is this your plan going the way you want it to? Um, Nynaeve attests that she'll never turn to the dark, Um that we know that's not exactly Leandrin's plan here. So that's kind of a moot point, but it's, it's nice to hear that, you know, Nynaeve is, is on the light side for good. I'd, I'd accept Nynaeve going dark one, then Leandrin going dark one. I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay. I mean, mm, I would watch it. I would watch it. I don't know if I'd accept it, but I would definitely watch it. Um, it's yeah, like go, kids yeah. on the playground saying, oh, yeah, I, I hear on like a later Dragon Ball Z series, like, like, Gohan turns evil. And you're like, I don't think that happens. I've seen <laughs> images. They're all online. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now we got Lady Seroth. She's lost her face mask. She's lost all of her pretense. So we see like her bare face now. I think she looks like Jared Leto. Did you see that as well? No. Oh, well, I don't know. That's that's who I thought she looked like. I also, every single time I've seen Jared Leto, I'm like, who's that? Oh, that's Jared Leto. He doesn't look anything like my previously seen Jared Leto. <laughs> that's true, too. She looks like the uh, the thin Jared Leto um, that you would see like in The Joker, except without all the makeup. Not The Joker. Whatever he did where he played a, car- a, assembly, a semblance of The Joker. Uh, in Suicide Squad, but as The go. Joker. He was The Joker. Yeah, okay, okay. That's who she reminded me of here, just minus that makeup. Anyway, <laughs> she's she's here, and she has no face mask anymore, and we learned that it was Ishmael. It was his old, whole idea to come attack the village, and basically he just wanted to get a hold of that Ogier, get a hold of that uh, Ingtar dude. Uh, Ishmael does not want civil war, so he's not 
on board with overpowering Turok right now because mm-hmm. Suroth is pissed. She's really pissed. Her nails are cut. Like she's been growing those nails for like oh, six, seven years and he just sliced them off. So she's super pissed. But Ishmael's like, we got to stay focused here. This is not doing us any good. Um, he reminds her that he is that. Well, basically, he reminds her because she's trying to one up him, say, that's my army. That's all my stuff that you're doing here. He's like, yeah, but what about that oath he made me, baby? He's like, I got it. So she bows down to him like, OK, all right, you win. During this, when she was like shielding her fingers, I said, oh, don't look at them. They're 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 so short. And Nicole says, and nowhere near silly. <laughs> I've lost all my silliness. Um, there's a prophecy. The last battle will be written in the skies above Falme, uh, and the dragon will join us. So that sounds fun. Going to be a party up in the sky. Um, yeah, this reminded me of, uh, of you and I a little bit, James, because, you know, I like to be like, oh, this is my podcast, James. I edit it. I produce it. I'm running the show here. But you're like, ah, 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 don't forget. It's I who made you what you are. And I'm I've like, never oh. said that. <laughs> I'm said the one who uh, you're the one like, hey, uh, you, you know, I'm also uh, one of your co-hosts. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forget because like you edited all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just trying to say, you know, I, I know I know where I come from, James. I, I don't forget my past. Anyway, here we go. Um, back to Parent. Perrin waits till nighttime, but he, he didn't wait long enough because everybody's wide awake, but he goes to sneak out of town, um, but he can't leave Avienda there. He uh, goes back to set her free because people shouldn't be in cages is what he explains. Um, he asks her if she's okay because he figures that she has like muscle atrophy from being cramped up in that cage for days, probably. I don't know. Um, she seems totally fine. Um she explains that she is Avienda of the Nine Valley Sept of the Tared Aiel, and she is a Fair Maris Dai, which means that she's one of these fighting warrior women, like we saw last season. So the, just like you were saying, like um, this is exactly what you were saying before, how just because one person is like such a tough fighter doesn't mean that all the Aiel are tough fighters. It's true. The Aiel fighters are the best fighters in the world, but not every Aiel is a fighter. There's also cooks and mothers and wise ones and fishermen and all kinds of stuff. So And lame asses living up in the mountains. <laughs> Them. And those podcasts in Aiel that don't do any good for nobody, except they provide entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we learned that, you know, that's who she is. She is one of these fighters and... They said earlier how it took like a dozen men just to get her in that cage. And like they lost like six lives just doing so. So they're ready for a fight. The White Cloaks. Um, They surround them. They overhear Perrin, I guess, banging on her cage. And they come to attention. Um, Bane, Bane, I'm sorry, Dane Bornhald um, tells the White Cloaks to surround them and attack all at once which is smart because we all know from ninja movies, like those ninjas come one at a time. It's real easy to beat them. So he's like, he all descri- at one time, boys. He describes this as going on the Dane train and he holds up a shocker. <laughs> the Dane train. 
the Sufa. That's right. <laughs> did, did you ever see? I think I posted it in the Griftors. There's a a TikTok of him swimming and being oh, like, yeah. "Yeah, man, this is my endurance training." It's so <laughs> fucking dumb. He's like has a rope tied around his waist and he's splashing in the in the yeah, shallow end like, of the pool. His form is so bad. That's the thing that's funny about it. Like, go for it. Do do whatever exercise you need to do, but don't make it seem like you're about to see something cool. And it's <laughs> it's so bad that you you're waiting for a punchline to happen and it just doesn't and you're like wow no the punchline was this is how you get ripped <laughs> and well, all no, this is how you points. get ripped and then the punchline is technically the minute and a half of him swimming <laughs> i really hope he, he he knew what he was doing and was and was being ironic on himself I but hope. i don't think so i don't think so i think he's too far gone <laughs> oh yeah we're fighting right this is this is time to fight and um, i loved white- it because yeah. all she's doing is breaking arms so they can't attack her. It's so good. That's right. Yep. It, the first time I watched it, everything was happening too fast that I couldn't really pay much attention. But yeah, you're right. She is basically just disabling all these people so they can't come back at her. Uh, Perrin joins in, grabs a, uh, what does he grab for, to battle? A hammer. Probably a hammer. Yeah. Big old hammer because he's a blacksmith. He joins in. Oh yeah, she she veils herself first. Oh, and we get over the fact that Perrin like tries to stand in front of her to like, don't worry, I'll protect you. And she like laughs and gets mm-hmm. in front of him. Like, this is the way we do it, Perrin. Um, yeah, and then she goes to kill the final boss, Dane, and Perrin stops her from doing so and reminds her, like, hey, that guy gave you water. Pretty weak. But even so, you know, he did give him water. Uh Nicole Dane's- said- Nicole yeah. said, who cares? And I said, yeah, at least break his arms. <laughs> um, I was thinking too, like um, that just this morning, like Melissa was waking me up in bed. And I think the reason she was getting me up is because there was no water in her water dish. So I put some water in there and she drank it. And then like five minutes later, you know, she clawed me. So she does not follow IEL tradition. Like uh-uh. I'll give her water, but she'll still fuck me up anyway. But here we go. Um, yeah, Dane sees Perrin's eyes, so he recognizes what Perrin is, and he sees those yellow eyes, but he also must recognize that, you know, Perrin has compassion, and he let him go, and I don't think there's any deaths that occur, is that correct? I Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, um, anything else about that scene? I don't have much to say, because I don't know what to say about action scenes, other than... It happened and they got away. Is Scott Farkas a, a wolf, bruh? I don't, I don't know what Scott Farkas is. Oh, the yellow-eyed kid from A Christmas Story? <laughs> what? I don't remember a yellow-eyed kid. I gotta it's, tell you. It's the bully. He has yellow eyes. Oh, damn. He can't be a wolf, bruh. He was, he was, the, was he the, um, the one who told him to put his tongue on the, uh, on the pole? Yeah, or no, no, he's he's the kid who beat the shit out of him, and then uh, Ralphie beats the shit out of him. Yeah, I'm not a traditionalist, James. I'm not the type of person that watches The Christmas Story every year for Christmas. It's, okay, I, I don't. I can't remember. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since, like, going over to my grandmother's because she would have oh. it on all day. Like, right, it was same. <laughs> to the point where it's like, I hate this movie now. But I th- I was almost on, like, 
hey, I'm going to uh, I think I'm good to watch this. But then I watched 8-Bit Christmas, which is just the same exact movie, but so much better. So, guys, instead of watching A Christmas Story or if you're tired of A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. check out 8-Bit Christmas. Good advice. Yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to Carheen. That's where Moraine and Rand show up now, okay? Yeah. Uh, they show up in Carheen. they got nowhere else to go. This is not where Moraine wants to go, but it's where she's got to go. This is when she just casually mentions Teleran Royad, which is the world of dreams, and starts to get a little bit of a nightmare on Elm Street here because she's telling Rand that Lanfear is a master in the world of dreams, she also loves casual cruelty, which, as we've already seen, um, and Moraine can't keep them awake. Um, Rand just assumes that, you know, since she has the one power, she can keep them awake, but she cannot. Which, again, emphasizes, like, um, what a pickle they're in here, because Rand is supposed to be the dragon, one of the most powerful, you know, channelers ever, and he can't even do simple stuff to help them out along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a huge hindrance to them. Which he still doesn't know she is cut off from the power currently. So when he oh, asks, is that right? Can, yeah, she, he still doesn't know. I hadn't even made that connection whatsoever. Because that's why he said, can't you keep me awake with the one power? And all she says is no. Meaning, oh, I guess I don't have that power. Like, there's no way to do that with this ability. Now, Lan, I guess Lan is the only one that knows then. Yeah, uh, Lan- yeah, I think so. She told him, but I don't think she told any. Wow. Okay. The two, uh, the the two people she was hanging out with, uh, you know, um, white hair strip. She, mm-hmm. I think, might know. She has to. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Varen and um, Adalys. So if they know, everybody knows. Adalys is a gossiper. So. Uh, but uh, uh, maybe they don't know. However, Rand for sure does not know yet because they just met. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She, from his perspective, she just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm <laughs> realizing these things as we go, James. This is great. She uh, also says, hey, we're here for food cleaning and fast horses, which sounds <laughs> like, hey, guys, you know, those signs that your aunt will have. Hey, uh, this is don't enter because this household has booze card playing and fast women that's right <laughs> hey we, be, we get to meet her nephew barthanes i think is his name i like to call him bart to make it a lot easier for myself um this is the guy who will be king this is the nephew that is going to be married off to the queen i saluted him oh good yeah oh you're supposed to stand and salute for the king now come on so Bart recognizes uh, Moraine's eye sedidness, I guess, and it seems like he respects it. Um, he wants to get introduced. To, he he assumes that Rand is her warder, but he's not. He's just Rand. That's all they introduce him as, which is like he's a rock star or something. Um, Moraine is surprised to see that Rand has already met Anavir and they already know each other, which is kind of cool. It's always nice to get one over on Moraine because. They Rand never and Anavir I, met at that party. But they never established that, I thought. Established what? That uh, Because I was waiting for them to be like, oh, yeah, we already know each other. But yeah. I thought that never happened. It did happen, yes. Oh, okay. I guess I just missed it. Yeah, because she's like, this is Rand. 
Bart says, hey. Anavira says, we've already met. Okay. Moraine gives a cryptic look. And now, <laughs> and now we move on. And then um, Rain does the suck it motion. <laughs> the DX chaps. I like Barty here. Um, he jokes around about his uh, his new kingliness. He says, I shall expect full subservience, auntie. But he's just joking around. Mm-hmm. He's he's a, he's a crazy. This is an arranged marriage. And I get the sense that he's like a foppy dandy is what I wrote down here. Um, it seems like, he, you know, he might be gay, perhaps. And this marriage is strictly arranged. And he's not interested in, you know, the romance of it, but he's really interested in the uh, the royalty of it. It's kind of the vibe I got. Um, because, like, yeah, his mom, Lady Anavir, doesn't care about anything because she's just like, you're going to have power. You're going to be the queen. That's that's what this is all about. And everybody's kind of looking at her, like, all stiffly, like, hmm. Do you not remember this part? I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't getting any queerness from the man. Okay, I mean, I could be wrong I, about that, but that's absolutely the vibe I got, is that they're not marrying for love, that they're just marrying for station. I, it seemed more in this moment, he, maybe it's because I was more picking up on him ex- genuinely excited to see his aunt. Yeah, yeah. And the, it seemed more in in aunt-nephew relationship that just truly was cut off at eight years old. So it seemed like they were going back to those roles opposed to, Hey, I'm an adult and this is how I act. It felt more like this is how I act around my aunt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, yeah, that's correct to catch all that. Cause they, they really emphasize his respect for her and his respect for the Mm -hmm. eyes to die. They respected in a later scene as well. So yeah, you're exactly right to think that. Um, also, um, every marriage is an arranged marriage if you believe in destiny. <laughs> okay, all right, I do, I do. Um, yeah, they're just here to freshen up and eat before they go. Just like you said, they're going to shit and get. Uh, we're going to move back to the White Tower, unless you had something else with uh, with those kids. Nope. All right. Uh, this is Viren. She's entered into Shirian's chambers. And you saw that Viren had like the one white gray stripe. Mm-hmm. Um, Shirian's like full gray. So, of course, she's much older. Did you catch what they were talking about, the switches, when the scene began? Uh, my guess there was she was like her teacher person back in the day and, you know, kind of uh, was given the one two from this switch. That's right. Um, that's the same switch that um, Elaine would have been getting if she had not been kidnapped away because she had to get switched for three months before breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, Viren, she made a mention how she was happy the switches were gathering dust, but obviously they're not because they're, they're still switching kids here. Um, we we learned that they're centuries old just from like an offhand comment that Viren makes. Um, she's there really to talk to Egwene and Nynaeve. And Elaine, that's who she's, well, really Egwene and Nynaeve, but like Elaine by association. Um, Shiriam signed them out, like in the great book, but doesn't really quite remember signing them out. But she's like, yeah, kind of vaguely remember doing that. Um, they were going to uh, Camelin. A bunch of soldiers took them. They were going to go see 
Gowan, who's Elaine's brother, on his name day is like the excuse that's given. So Viren accepts that and she asks to borrow a book so they can go off to to get such book, the meditations on the kindling flame. Um, as soon as they step out, though, the other brown, Jessica, slips in to go check out that book and look at it a little bit closer. And we learn from looking at those signatures that it seems that signature was done under compulsion is what they have, um, they being Jessica and Viren, kind of through their conversation, that's the only conclusion they can come up with was why her <laughs> handwriting looks so shaky mm-hmm. is because she was under compulsion by a black Aja. And that's the reason that she made that notation in the book. So uh, they want to check out all the Aes Sedai who have left the tower recently. So we know that would include Leandrin because she has left the tower recently. So it's kind of a big deal, more so to Jessica than Viren. Well, yeah, the Aes Sedai aren't supposed to do that to each other. That's correct. Shirim is an Aes Sedai. So it, being done to her directly breaks one of the oaths. If you, yeah, if you, if an Aes Sedai was to do that to you, they're not breaking the oath. Okay. Uh, but just putting, is right. it still like a forbidden thing to do it to like a normal norm core person? Now that I think about it, no. Okay. <laughs> Because I think Moraine uses compulsion. We hey, we should have done this at different days, Steve. Why? You you there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, wait, I thought like that could be and you're like, oh yeah, 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 never mind, never mind. Or oh yeah, oh yeah, I guess Rain doesn't know she it seems like you have a lot going on. Uh, I kinda do. I'm kinda having a rough day. I mean, it's not a not as bad of a day as like a Gwaine, for example. Like, you know, she's having a really bad day today. Oh, I uh, she's I'm not a having a st- What's that? My note says she's having a blast. <laughs> My eyes see that she's not, but okay. compared to compared to her, I'm fine and dandy. Everything's all good, James. You're right, but you're absolutely right though. When Viran, is that her name? Viran? Viran. Uh mm-hmm. when she pulls out that just out just out from her pocket a magnifying glass, I was like, <laughs> it's like Howard Kramer. Exactly. I thought the same thing myself too. And I ran into another Howard Kramer type at, um, when I was doing forklift training up in, uh, Chincoteague, Virginia last week, one of the guys whipped out a magnifying glass when I handed him his test. He got it. He used a magnifying glass. It was adorable. I loved it. He was like 30 years old. <laughs> All right. Next up, um, is Leandrin. She arrives through the way gate with Egwene, Elaine and Nynaeve. Um, she's there meeting up with Suroth and the crew and she and Suroth do not exactly see eye to eye. Uh, Ishmael's not there. Leandrin was hoping Ishmael was going to be there. The man that we were saying before. Um, so Leandrin, her point of view is that what they do to their women is an abomination that like their slavery is, you know, unforgivable and that the Sension should respect the one power more so than that. Suroth's coming from the angle where they respect the one power so much that nobody should yield it by accident. It should only be done by training. So they want to identify people who can channel as quickly as possible, stop them from doing so and, you know, transform them into weapons to use, you know, in defense of the light. That's how they see it. Yeah. See the, that's where your the argument ends is, well, we're going to, yes, technically 
capture them as early as we can because they know they can channel so we can train them so they're not going to like harm other people so eventually they can harm people that we want <laughs> harmed and then it's like okay that's where you lose me that's yeah. where you are in the wrong guys and this is the scene that i'm like well okay clearly leandrin does not like them nope. and we see is in a sense, giving them a Trojan horse that backfires because one of them's like, what? Huh? <laughs> that yeah, she might be my least because of that. She might be my least favorite this episode. You mean Suroth? How Lady Suroth? No, naive. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get there. Um, first off, I think it's cool that Suroth is like, you know, I can't wait to put a leash around your neck, Leandrin. And Leandrin's like, well, I'll just make you kneel to me. So Leandrin's like, I'm not going to make a slave out of you, but you're going to kneel to me. That's their whole standpoint. Um, I'd agree with Leandrin if she wasn't such a hypocrite here. But like you said, it's a Trojan horse situation. She's given them the girls, but at the last second, she does a little fancy weave to free Nynaeve's hands. So now Nynaeve is free. Um so I think Leandrin set this whole thing up to kind of like have her cake and eat it too. I've delivered you these girls. Now I'm going to set the strongest one free. So they're going to get free, but unfortunately Nynaeve can't channel. So setting Nynaeve free was probably not the smartest move. Yeah, this was, uh, this is one of those things where I'm like, I, I think Leandrin's motives are still for the light are still for this continent that we've been seeing it. I think she is also, Oh, this was a big thing. I think her, once she goes back to the tower and is like, Oh, I, that the, if they got caught up in all that stuff that's happening down in the West and the South, we have to go send people there. That's it's her also, I guess like killing three birds with one stone, just like, um, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, better than Moraine. This she just killed one horse with one blade. Come on, so <laughs> keep up. If you think of it this way, she made some deal in quotes with the Dark One or with Ishmael to mm -hmm. maybe find out. Like that, that might be it. She wants to meet up with this man so she knows who the fuck he is. So ah. that's why you're making deals with him. So then, that's why. Hey. I will bring you these girls. Oh, you're not there. Fuck. Okay, well, my plan all <laughs> along was we are going to Trojan horse you, undo that. But, oh, shit. When you think this woman is the strongest in the world and talked a big game, she can't do shit. I should have yep. just unlet, unleashed the other two as well, but I didn't yep. have time. Didn't want I wanted it to be a little covert mission. So <laughs> then... That's on top of it. And then going back saying, oh, we need to like go save them because I signed them out to go to right, the exact right. place that is getting infiltrated. We will then go defend how we should be defending our territories. And then she's like the hero. I saved y'all. Look at this. Uh -huh. <laughs> I orchestrated all of this. Yes. <laughs> it's funny how, like, yeah, she lets Nynaeve go. Nynaeve can't channel. 
No, the oh, wait, four ahead. birds with one stone. Because what? then when she, if she'll be found out, she'll be excommunicated, but then she can go spend the last dying years with her son. She can go heal him. And that like she's set free of all this bullshit. She saved the world from the darkness and she can actually live a life with her son, not for long, but as long as she can. Kate Fleetwood, you hearing this? I'm, I'm loving this angle. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Before we move on, though, we got to mention Egwene got captured. Egwene was captured in the scene, and all Nynaeve and Elaine had to do was step out of the forest, and they were fine. Um, that exact same thing happened in the books the same way, how as soon as they stepped out of the trees, it's like they were safe somehow. Like the trees are like this, uh, <laughs> this special barrier that the ascension can't get through. But at any rate, uh, despite that, Egwene is captured. Nynaeve and Elaine are free. Yeah, I'm going to move on to Perrin and Avienda and Hopper. Cool little trio hanging out by the fire here. Um, Perrin makes mention that, you know, she's Aiel, so you're from the Waste. Remember, I was telling you the waste is like to the far east of this world. And she, you know, is like, uh-uh, that's what you guys call it. Y'all call it the waste. We call it the threefold land because it shapes us, it tests us, and it punishes us for our sins. Parents like, what sins? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> Some sins from long ago. It's kind of so long ago we forgot what they were. <laughs> Classic sinners. <laughs> um, he asked what she's doing. She's out there looking for the Karakon or Karakon, the chief of chiefs is what she calls it. Isn't there something like, isn't there some kind of like mascot of some fast food place that's a chief of chiefs or something along those lines? I don't remember. Can I ask a quick question okay. though? Yeah. Of and this is a hey, spoiler alerts possibly, but I need Great. to know this. Does Hopper die? What? In the books, does does Hopper die or does he have plot armor? What, why are you Why are you asking me that? Because, because you're now saying like, oh, hey, there, it's these these three amigos. Hopper's now a character, so that's why I'm asking: Does this dog that we will get attached to die? I can refuse to answer that. No, no, I mean this is a serious question, Stephen. I'm gonna Google it right now. God damn it! Okay. Okay, spoilers ahead. By this point in the story, Hopper should already be dead. Okay, all right, then I. Th but, but we have, but they haven't formed a bond yet. Okay, then my guess is they're not going to kill this dog. <laughs> Who's they? The showrunners. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I, I still kind of think it's going to happen because okay. it happens in the book very early on, but not until parent forms an attachment to it. All right. Keep then them away dies. from Moraine guys. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> so, okay. I already explained the threefold land. We explained that she calls anybody who's not Nael is called a wetlander um, because, you know, they get plenty of water and in the Aiel waste or the threefold land, it's a desert. So like water is very hard to come by. Shade is very hard to come by, which is why they say, may you always find water and shade. So, like all the other I, not like the other Aiel. Let me go again. She's not like other Aiel. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. 
she's out there looking for the chief of chiefs. She's in search for their grand leader, just like that other Aiel who was in the cage last season that we found. Matt sold, stole some stuff off of them. I want to get to that later, but that's the other reason. The other reason, that's the reason the other Aiel was out too, looking for their great lost leader. Um, but now she has towed a parent. So she's going to go wherever Perrin goes. Um, not as a lover, though she would not be opposed because Perrin's pretty hot. She will not attack him in a fit of lust. <laughs> she promises him that. Um, but yeah, she's part of his crew now. They're going to head over to Falme is where they're going to go. Perrin wants to go there to free his friends. And, you know, this whole idea of toe, like she saved his life. No, he saved her life. So now she's indebted to him forever. Sometimes, like I was saying earlier, I feel like I have toe to James because, you know, you've helped me get on this road to podcast and to publish in my music and stuff. So I have toe to you, James. You don't. I'm, you I'm not going to attack you in a fit of lust, but. <laughs> I hope your children don't listen to this. <laughs> they, I'm sure they don't. They don't care about anything that I okay, do. Okay, good, because they will. <laughs> when the will is written, they will come for me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They're like, where's all our Intravoid dollars, James? We want that money. No. I, hey, we we wanted like some of his like VHSs. I'm like, no, you're not having any of these. He bequeathed me the, the clerk's VHS. Oh, I, yep. I mean, I absolutely got toe to James. What can I say? Um, <laughs> they're talking about going to Falme. So we go to Falme next year. We're in Tommen's head. In the eyes of Nynaeve and Elaine, they're arriving here. Elaine's pretty shocked because she's like, this place is thousands of miles away from the White Tower. How did we get here? Et cetera, et cetera. It's the ways, Elaine. Don't worry. Uh, the Sension have occupied this city. I didn't bring this up before. The innkeeper said this about the Sension. And this is another thing that we can kind of put in the, uh, the side of like the Sension are not that bad is once you swear those stupid oaths to them, like if you don't swear the oaths, you get the horn, like Uno. If you do swear the oaths, they leave you alone and you actually get to, um, you know, take part in their fortune as well. So the city is still bustling. The city is as good as ever. The, the sentient guards are marching around just making sure order is kept. But all these people have swore the oaths, so they're going to be left alone from now on. Um, they're hiding from those soldiers, nonetheless. Uh, and as we see them in the alleyways, there's the two of them. And all of a sudden, there's three of them. I like that camera angle a lot, how they're talking. And all of a sudden, like, wait, there's three? Then that dude knocks them out. This is like the second time they were knocked out in so many days uh -huh. by force. Their heads got to hurt. Ah, I like this. Leandrin and Viren, they meet up in the tower hallway. Uh, Leandrin says that she's been in this town called Jureen and she has this white asparagus and this asparagus is basically just to prove that she was in mm -hmm. Jureen because it's only available at a certain time. It's like a timestamp. It's like an undeniable timestamp that she's using here to fool anybody. 
But Viren catches on to that lie right away. And we can see her catch on to that lie because it's a little too convenient. Yeah, it's also so immediate. And Leandrin is acting completely not like the Leandrin everyone knows. (laughs) Well, I mean, that is kind of appropriate because, you know, reds and browns kind of get along. Reds and blues are enemies. Reds and greens, enemies. Reds and browns, eh, you guys are okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Viren mentions about how Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve, um, she mentions that, you know, Nynaeve is accepted already, thanks to Leandrin, of course. Um, and it was a pretty good ploy getting Leandrin pushing Nynaeve to be an accepted with, with good reason that we know now, just so she can just get Nynaeve out of the tower. Um, let's see, Leandrin is quick to report about an attack that happened because their whole um, cover for leaving was like they were being uh, escorted by soldiers to go to Camlin. Leandrin's like, oh, I heard that envoy was attacked. We got to do something quick, run. (laughs) So she runs off to go um, get some help for this alleged attack that happened. Viren again can see through Leandrin and she knows that something is amiss. Um, so Viren, the smartest Brown we have met yet. Do you have anything about that scene? To get uh, back she, on? She's, she mentions going to the keeper. And if the keeper says, if we see the keeper say, Oh no, 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 we're not going to send anyone. That's how <laughs> we know. That's the dark friend in the tower. The keeper you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Still a good suspect. Uh, we go back to Moraine and her sister talking. Um, her sister is helping her <laughs> wipe the blood off of her chest, not doing a great job because she's still plenty bloody. But um, she gives Moraine some advice. She recognizes that Moraine is like lost right now and doesn't really have a direction. And she gives her some advice that Moraine gave her when she was a little girl. Um, Moraine says that Rand needs her protection but Moraine can't provide it. Her sister is like, is it true? Does Rand really need your protection? Is that, can you know beyond any doubt that that is true? Um, Moraine seems to change her mind here with her sister's logic. Um, and she decides to eventually allow Rand to fall asleep. She changes her course of action um, based on what her sister's telling her here. So she knows that there's really nothing she can do power wise but she can allow Rand to go into the dream world and kind of watch over him and guard him while he sleeps. We see Ishmael and Lanfear in the little dream world dressed in white with all the fire. Um, well, first uh, Lanfear disguises herself as Rand to catch Ishmael's attention and then reveals herself. Um, People blame them for breaking the world, but Ishmael is defiant against humans because he's all like, yeah, that was 3,000 years ago. Why haven't you guys fixed it yet? Um, Kind of a good point, I guess, but (laughs) there's a lot of stuff working against these people in the world. Ishmael, give him him a break. And then he goes, "Do do you know why the Dark One woke me first? It's because I'm daddy's yes man. It's like, no, it's you can't. No, calm down, <laughs> sir. You're you're actually making yourself look worse by saying what you're saying. 
Yeah, her face, like she agrees with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, he he allowed Moraine to live. We learned we learned that these guys are kind of puppet masters, or not these guys, but Ishmael, mm-hmm. kind of a puppet master here. He let Moraine live. He could have killed her, but he thinks it's cool to like make her desperate because it allows for creative and interesting choices. <laughs> I mean, he's he's all about like the game. Uh, we learn about some of the other Forsaken. We learn that there is uh, Mogedian and Grandal. Those are two women Forsaken, like Lanfear. And the boys. <laughs> there's there's four other boys who their names are unspoken, but I guess they're just the boys. Ishmael here is the main man. He wants to stop the wheel completely. He wants to destroy the world and just be done with it all. And that's why the Dark One likes him. And this is exactly like Dark once again. Like our main guy in Dark, Adam, wants to destroy the world. And that's what his whole goal is, is to completely destroy everything. And just like our Dark one here, I think my two shows are connected um, in more ways than 10. It's great. Well, I heard in um, the second season of 1899, that was going to be the plot line. (laughs) <laughs> like stop it James no <laughs> I'm still crying about that one and yeah um speaking of 1899 a lot of people can blame 1899 for Tom Marilyn not being in season two he's not in season two because he was supposed to be in season two of 1899 and he signed a contract for that so they started filming without him and wrote the script without him he'll definitely be in season three but that's the only reason he's not here. He should be here. Is that the Merry Man? Yep, that's okay. right. I think you called him the song, the Music Man last time. I like to call him the Music Man. The Gleeman, that's what it is. Yeah, okay, yes. That's the official term for, for what he does. Um, yeah, we learn here Lanfear wants the dragon. Um, she compares Rand to the way he used to be. She's like, yeah, this version of the dragon is softer he doesn't take any pride in his birthright he rejects power um so that's kind of interesting that like you know we learn uh, how do i put this dragons of the past have always been arrogant and have always been like you know high up in the in the rankings of government kings i'm the king dragon i'm gonna rule the world so the wheel knowing that that type of dragon is just going to fuck everything up again, has instead created a more humble dragon also gives him some ties in to some, um, some royalty because we know his father, Tam was actually like a blade master and was pretty high up in, um, you know, the army of the royalty in the Aiel war. So he's got kind of some tie-ins there, but he was raised as a sheep herder raised with his two best friends away from the world, away from politics. So he's just a nice dude, basically. Um, They also talk offhandedly about the others. They talk about Nynaeve and Egwene. Uh, They say one craves power, the other fears it. So we know who fears the power, that's Nynaeve. So I guess that leaves Egwene as the one who craves power. Uh, Here's interesting thing. He says, Matt was born his. Um, what did you think he meant when he said that? It like, hey, this is going to be an easily manipulated person. Exactly. Yes. 
we know Matt is um, a thief. You know, he steals. We've seen him steal multiple times in this in this show. Um, he stole earrings from Dana. He stole um, uh, the Ruby Dagger, of course. And I'm sure he stole something else along the way. Um, Recently, those you know, horses and whatnot. Yeah, he stole dinner. Um, and he's raised poor. His parents are alcoholics. Yes, he's an easy win. Easy, I mean, no problem turning this guy to the dark side. Pretty according much. According to him. Pretty much like, hey, pretty much with parents like that, it's going to be an easy thing. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah, then Perrin, the wolf, you know, he's like, eh. Parents a wolf, no problem. I got that guy too, no biggie. Um, but we know that it's Rand who Lanfear really wants. Um, their dream, which is interesting, that the uh, the Forsaken are dreaming too. Um, but Ishmael is woken up from his dream by one of Turok's senders, and he goes out there and is interrogated by Turok. We didn't mention Turok's cool ass um, head design though. I don't know how they do that, how mm. like in this world, how they would have done that. I imagine it's like burns or like depressing things on his head when he's a baby, I guess. Um, but it's real neat, his head designs. Mm -hmm. um, but we learned that it was Ishmael who's led this whole thing. They would have been back on the other side of the sea at their homeland hanging out if it wasn't for Ishmael that showed them these omens and led them to where they are. So Ishmael's just guiding them by the nose this whole time. Um, we learned that uh, they are servants of the Empress in the court of the nine moons. So we're getting a lot of threes, which also is a lot like dark. Everything is either three or is divisible by three, three, nine, 12. All these numbers that come up are usually threes, nines, and twelves. Um, they've given Turok the horn as a gift. Now they're given um, Egwene, one of the most powerful Aes Sedai around. Well, not Aes Sedai, but one of the most powerful channelers around, just as gifts. They're just earning Turok's favor. Like, Suroth was like, I can't wait to get rid of this guy. Just fucking kill him. Ishmael instead is like just showering him with gifts and giving Turok everything he wants. Uh, we see them collar Egwene here, and she gets leashed. And that was a very cool animation. All of that, very well done. I only wish that they, they would have like made the gold thing like come out of her mouth at the same time, too, to show that was like a magical thing. Mm. I think that would have been neat. But yeah, you're right. Really neat animation here. Um, she's going to be the ultimate weapon, obviously. If they can, if they can learn to control her, then there's it's boundless what she can do. Um, but yeah, that's where we leave them is um, Egwene at their feet about to become a Damane too. I think that's why this episode is called Damane is because Egwene is now finding herself as an Iguane. <laughs> yeah, Iguana. Like she's an Iguane, <laughs> which is a horrifying future for her. I'm not liking leaving her like this. Do you have anything to say before we, uh, before we send her off to the slave land? No. <laughs> All right, bye, Egwene. <laughs> All right, um, we meet up with Nynaeve and Elaine. This is after they got knocked out. Turns out that dude was a warder, and he's a good guy. So we're happy about that. He could have been a little nicer about it, though. Um, they're at the home of Rima Sadai, who's a yellow. She has rescued them. Oh, I thought she was a white. Mm -mm. 
Why nope. do I keep getting all this? That I could have swore she was white. Never mind. You're colorblind. She's yellow. No, I thought she said um, I'm a white. Mm-mm. She did not. Um, anyways, she lets us know that that's what the sentient do, is they find women who can channel. And they're like, you don't want to be found by the ascension, women who can channel. Um, it's no good. <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, and I think that's all we got with Nynaeve and Elaine. They're there hanging out with Rima now, and they're in Falme. Mm-hmm. Laying low, thank goodness. We're gonna move over to Rat, <laughs> Rat, Rand, and Bart. Uh, they're playing cards, trying to stay awake. I've done that before, trying to like stay awake all night. So you play cards with your friends, it works. Um, Moraine encourages Rand to fall asleep now, though, she changes the plan up on Rand. The original plan was we're splitting now. Now the plan is go ahead and put your little head in the little pillow, Rand, and fall asleep. Um, she lets Rand know that Lanfear really wants him. Lanfear loved the dragon before he was married, and she only became a dark friend after he broke her heart. So James, we're dealing with one of the evil exes from the Scott Pilgrim world here, obviously. She's she's the dragon's evil ex-girlfriend who turned evil only because he broke her heart. It's a risky plan here to like let Rand go in her hands, but I'm thinking that just because I've seen the evil exes in Scott Pilgrim, some of them can, you know, have a good side to them, even though they have this vendetta against this person that they once loved. You know, they talk about turning people to the dark side, Matt and Perrin, turn them to the dark side. I'm thinking that we're turning some people to the light side Ooh, here. Maybe. And I'm thinking that Leandrin and Lanfear are their two best, um, you know, possibilities of people that can be turned from the dark back to the light. Well, Leandrin, two- Leandrin's not mm-hmm. the, on the dark side. <laughs> well, officially she is. She swore the dark oaths. But like you said, she's like, you think she's a double agent. That yes. She's like, you know, so I think Lanfear... She's done more than swear the oaths. She actually became one of the Forsaken. So she's like led armies. But I think that she is fodder to be, you know, led to back to the light side as well with her love for Rand here. Um, As of right now, we don't know if that's going to happen or not because (laughs) when Rand falls asleep, she does like a dominatrix power play. He's immediately chained to the wheel um, in front of this real badass looking land fear, looking like Maleficent basically on her little, little stone throne there. And she finally has ran right where she wants him in her sleep, in her power, not in the real world, but in the dream world. So that's where we leave Rand Now Rand's in the hands of land fear chained up. Moraine is watching to make sure that, you know, he's going to be okay, but I don't know. I don't trust that. I don't trust that plan. No, you, they might be able to Dinobot her, you know, from Beast Wars, that Dinobot was no. a, a Predacon, and then he teamed up with the Maximals. Sure, sure. Well, I do know Moraine says that um, she can't, she says something like she doesn't have the option to fall asleep or something like that. I don't know what she meant by that, because right now she's just a person, and... There's nothing stopping her from falling asleep. She can't 
stay awake indefinitely. I think that meant like, hey, we should go to sleep. And she's like, I don't have fucking time to do that. Okay, well, maybe so. Um, I, I'm just taking a wild guess. And I'm going to think that like in episode six, our next episode, she's going to fall asleep too. That's that's my wild guess is what's going to happen with their little storyline here. Could be. Could be. But yeah, that's where we end this episode. This was one of the best ones. Narg didn't think so, but Stephen James absolutely thought so. Um, I think it was the best um, so far. Uh, I don't know if you agree. Do you agree with that or not? I think last episode, I they're they're all this season's all good. Yes, it is all good. But um, just like you with like your your Nicolas Cage podcast, y'all have to rank. You have to rank. Yeah, but um, what, I don't have to. Steve, I'm so hungry. <laughs> Also, real quick, these episodes, they all blend together. We watch them so quickly. I don't know what what happened in which episodes. But with a Nicolas Cage movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, one, he's he's a a flaming skull. (laughs) And the other, he's a warrior with a mandolin in uh, not warrior, an army man with a mandolin in World War Two. I can differentiate these movies. You're right. We have blazed through these. Um, just for the listening audience, we've we've done five of these episodes in the span of, I think, less than two weeks, just because we wanted to to get right on board where we can record as soon as we see them. Also, um, also and- there's how many episodes this season? Eight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. The wedding that I'm going to go to is in late October. Like, we would have been good. <laughs> Well, I'm going to a wedding next weekend, so okay. I'm not good next weekend. All so right. this is a good idea. This that's why I said today was an excellent day to record, even though I'm feeling a little weird. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, bef- before we go, I want to talk about first who our favorites and least favorites were. I'll go first. Um, Viren, the brown Aja of the brown Aja, was my favorite this episode for sure. I'm a big Viren fan. My least favorite, I think it's a no brainer. Suroth, hi, Lady Suroth. I'm glad she got her fingernails cut. Not for the same reason as Nicole, but she just sucks. I don't like her one bit. Mm -hmm. And she's not good with plans. She's not patient. Just chill out, Suroth. She's no good. How about you, James? Uh, My my favorite will go... We'll go Elaine this time because she actually tried to defend and go with the plan that they <laughs> yeah. didn't know was happening. And then my yeah. least favorite, you know, Nynaeve at least woke up. I'm going to say Gwen. She really shit the bed. That, no, it's Nynaeve. <laughs> She's the worst. <laughs> I was like, damn, Egwene's just getting shit on left and right now. Jesus. I'm glad you gave it to Nynaeve instead, but. I don't think she was worthy, but you're you, James. I respect your opinion. Oh, actually, um, the, the best is um, the Aiel lady, the idea lady, as Nicole would say. <laughs> Avienda, yeah, she made a good, strong showing. Um, yeah, I, I, w- I would accept that, but I'm still standing by Viren. I just like her so much. Anyway, um, let's do our plugs, James. I don't think I have much plugs this week other than just to please keep listening to Sweet Child of Time. Check out some Intervoid music. How about you, James? Hey, guys, listen to my music under Marsh Land Monster. Head over to MLMPod.com to find out information about my other podcast available wherever you're listening to this. There's a bunch of my stuff that you can listen to. Yay, yay. And Patreon.com forward slash MLMPod, where for $5 a month, you get exclusive content every single Friday. Yay, yay. And head over to DarlingHomebody.com to get cool shit that Nicole makes. It's artwork. It's stickers, pins, etc. 
I gave two Darlin' Homebody stickers to my niece for her birthday last week. She loved them. It was one of Hopper and one of Melissa. (laughs) You're like, you know these these animals. Yeah, of course. This one dies in the show. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you hadn't asked me that. That was awful, James. Don't ask me any more questions like that in the future. Well, that's something that I need to know as someone who... (laughs) <laughs> doesn't deal hasn't dealt with a a pet's death yet that happened three years ago oh okay okay i didn't even think about that aspect i was just thinking you were just like i gotta know this for the show oh I'm like, no oh, this, this no Matt turned emotionally dark. Turned I, dark. <laughs> emotionally i need to know that that's why in hit it and crit it i told Corey, i was like hey uh Quasit has plot armor and he's like no he can die i was like no no franklin just passed away and i put a lot of franklin's personality into this little Quasit. you need mm. and he's like oh fuck yeah he has plot armor he but he can't do the normal things he's been <laughs> doing he's just there and he can kind of like cast those two spells he has and that's it i'm like i'm fine with that as long as he can't die <laughs> Who's got plot armor on this podcast? Me, you, Lindsay at one of my stories, Nate the Void Master. None of us can die because we got to keep going and doing these recaps. So until next week, James, I hope you always find water and shade and a nice dinner tonight. Back at you, sir. Yay. Bye. Bye.